But uh, let's go back to now Ephesians chapter 5 tonight. This is part 2 of our uh, series here. Uh, not a series, just this morning's evening. I guess are two sermons a series? They usually end up one, but uh, two sermons. The one this morning was part one. Tonight is part two, okay, about making a church. Mom making home a church. And, and this, uh, listen, I'll be the first one to tell you this because I was very hesitant on this message because I have never heard a Mother's Day message from this passage. Most Mother's Day's messages are very sentimental. We uh, talk about mom, you know, apple pie and everything else. But really, when I see the state of today's uh, church, the state of this country, the state of this world, uh, it needs Christian homes. Whether we realize it or not, uh, judgment begins at the house of God. People wonder what's going to happen to America well, just observe what happens to his churches first. Because if there's not repentance, if there's not a turnaround in the churches, it's going to happen to them first because God's judgment begins at the house of God. So keep your eyes open on those things. And if there is not repentance in the church, there's not changing of the uh, church so that the home is what God designed it to be instead of what... Uh, I think Brother Randy gave a good illustration of that, the end justifies the means. Look, I've had that, and by the way, that, that, that is a Marxist, I mean, Karl Marx wrote on that. Okay. That is a Marxist theory that, uh, look, if you can bring down, for example, if you can bring down capitalism, it doesn't matter if you've got to lie, steal, kill, or whatever you've got to do to bring it down, the end justifies the means. Uh, but I've seen that in churches where they've come people uh, lie, they make false accusations and everything, try to destroy either a ministry, a church, or whatever, or somebody in the church. And so, uh, again, that is a Marxist philosophy, that is a Marxist uh, acting, and that is something that is always, always, always wrong. So, we got started this morning, and we made uh, two things that we said. First of all, in a marriage, the husband represents Jesus Christ. The wife represents the believer in Christ, the saved person. And so, what they are to do, their accountability before God as Christians. A wife, who would also be the mother to have children, her responsibility is to do to her husband as what the believer is to be to Christ. So, we read those verses. We'll say more about that in just a moment. And then the husband, he has the responsibility to represent what Christ is to the believer. And the greater accountability, whether you realize this or not, is on the husband. Uh, we're told about those that, that desire the office of a bishop or a pastor, desires a good office. But we're also told that there is a greater condemnation. In other words, there's a greater expectation on us at the judgment seat of Christ than there is of the average Christian. Now, everybody's going to be called into an account. But God trusted the pastor with this thing, just like he trusted the husband with the responsibility of representing what he is to a believer in his marriage. So that makes it very vital, very important. So let's just read verses 22 through 26. That's where we were today, and then we'll get on to uh, the next verses as, after a word of prayer. 
Verse 22 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ so loved the church, also loved the church, and gave himself for it. He died for his bride. That he might sanctify, that is, set it apart for good, for good things, for the holy service of God, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. The word of God is to guide the husband. The word of God is to guide the wife. The word of God is to guide the home. So when you're talking about Mother's Day or even Father's Day, which we'll have in June, understand, understand completely that that home is supposed to represent the relationship with Jesus Christ, and mom and dad have a great responsibility in that home. But we see that dad has responsibility to mom as well as the children in that. You know, and we have an example here now, the night, so I, I'm able to fit this in right here. Uh, Mrs. Kuyper, these flowers down here, she does this every year. Her mother uh, passed away, what was it, seven years ago? Seven years, nine months. Seven years, nine months. Okay, seven years, nine months ago. Now, let me tell you, when I first come to the church here, I came as assistant in 1984. And for the first two years, I uh, kind of wandered around, learned things and all that, and that's what my dad told me to do. But I remember going over to Children's Church, and she was teaching Children's Church. I didn't want to go back in the main church. She, I, I've heard a lot of Children's Church people that were very good at what they did, but I, hands down, she was the best. I mean, to me, she was just the best. Listen to her, and I'm thinking, I know I'm supposed to go back over to the church for the invitation. Wow, <laughs> you know, this is good. And it was. She, I mean, I, I thought everyone that wants to work with children should learn from her because she knew how to deliver a children's story. I, I, I don't know how she could do it, how she would do it so consistently and so well that she did. But, but nonetheless, I say all that, these flowers in memory of her, but, you know, that's, it's not a great thing about Mother's Day. To think back on mom and you have a mother like that that remember her she served the Lord. Amen. She served the Lord. And, and so a lot of us could say the same things about our mothers as well. And so I appreciate that. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to go into your word tonight. And I pray that as we go into it, that you will make it clear, understandable to everyone here tonight in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now again, let's start at verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now men, don't miss that. Please don't miss that. Yes, Christ is the head, but you see a purpose there? The Savior of the body. See, we'll be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says. But don't miss, 
that that body's changed. He's given that spirit that has indwelt that body in its earthly life a new body, a glorious body. The Savior of the body, not this corrupted body that has corrupted over our years. It started with Adam, but it's corrupted over those years. And so when you think about that, here it is. Christ died for our sins. He is the head of the church. We'll read in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You know, most preachers preach from this passage talking about the relationship between husband and wife in a marriage. But we're actually seeing, yes, these things are true, but it's more to show us what we are representing in that marriage to our spouse, to our children, and to the world. And so, he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their husbands in everything. Well, in everything, we're to be subject to Christ. How you run your home should be because you feel this is by the Word of God what I should do. How you love your husband by the Word of God, this is how you, what you're supposed to do. See, those are things, it's determined by the Word of God, and so in everything, let it be subject unto Christ. Uh, and so she is demonstrating what a Christian is to be in their personal life, subjected to a husband, because she is doing it, because she loves the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he, she's been commanded to do, and she does it. Not out of force, but she does it out of love. She's subjected. She's not forced. She has subjected herself out of love and in obedience to the Lord's command. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 25 says, in other words, be willing to give your life for her. Jesus gave his life for us. And that's not always called to die. Sometimes that's just that very extra the very things that you normally wouldn't do. But you do them because she has a need. And you fulfill that need. Verse 26 says that he might sanctify, set it apart for sacred use. Have you ever thought about that? All of us can look at our past and things of our past and just say, man, what a filthy sinner I was. What a filthy sinner I am. And yet the Lord has saved me, and then he has sanctified me, set me apart to be used by him. Goodness gracious, Apostle Paul, the guy that the Holy Spirit breathed every word of this to write, he murdered people. He went into homes and grabbed women and men, yanked them and drugged them into prison, took all their stuff from them. God saved that soul, sanctified him, set him apart for holy use. God can do that. That's why, as a man, you try to represent Christ in how you live, besides in what you say. And so, that he might present to himself, verse 27, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, but it should be holy without blemish. And you see, he's just telling us, husbands, 
for your wife. You're doing this. You're doing this because you want her to finish life well for eternity. You want to help her. You know, the wife was created as a helpmeet. That's what the Bible says. He created Eve for a helpmeet. Now look, I am so, I mean, things are different today. I mean, our first one was born 50 years ago. I remember. They, they didn't have these separate rooms then. They had this one big room with about eight different women having, getting ready to have a child at the same time and going through those pains. And for some reason or another, they were tur taking turns doing Tarzan yells the whole time, you know. And, and they didn't have those shots. They didn't have those things like we, they have today, you know, the epidural. They didn't have that. And so uh, it, it was pretty tough like that and going through that. So I'm glad that God made woman to do that instead of me. Uh, and I'm also glad that he doesn't take a rib outside of me to make another one. Now, we, we look at those things and we say these things. God did everything because he loves us and what is best for us. Sometimes you tell a little one, no, you can't do that. That little one may not understand it, cry and everything else, and mommy, daddy hates me. But when they're a little bit older, then they realize mommy and daddy love me, and they kept me from doing that. And so that makes such a big difference. And so, with holy, without blemish, and then verse 28, that's where we get in, looking at verse 27, 28, so ought men to love their wives, uh, uh, even as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And so that's the kind of love that you have. And since, well, I'm not one of these guys that love myself, okay? So let's just say that your big thing is fishing. Maybe it's hunting. Hunting season comes around. Maybe the time fishing, uh, may, maybe you get, when the redfish run and that, that season's open, then you're right there, boy, you're going to do that. And you say, well, no, no. Yeah, you don't need to do that this year. Just, just put that off. Well, I want to do that. No, 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 just put it off. No, you're going to have an argument. You're going to have an argument. Because it's what you want to do, even though your wife says, we really ought to go out for our anniversary. Well, I'm trying to take you fishing. I mean, that's going to take you to hunt deer. I'm going to let you clean them for me. You know? uh, no, you don't, you, don't, you don't do that. Now, you've got things that maybe are before your spouse. There's only one thing that's before your spouse, but that one thing is in favor of your spouse as well, and that is Christ is first. He's your all in all. So, men, it will be revealed in heaven. Did you represent Jesus Christ well in how you represented him to your home, to your children? 
Did they see Christ in you? You know, if you're having devotions and you're reading the Bible with your family, which you should do, you read it with those children as they grow up, and you talk about it, and you teach it to your children. As a grown up, pastor, I don't know that much about the Bible. Get up and read it early. Think on it through the day. Think on how I would teach that to somebody. On children, you've got to bring it down to a child's level. How would I teach that to a child? But do it. Do it. The home was God's idea, not yours. So do God's will, God's way, in God's timing. And God's timing is that when you have the children at home, do that. Do that. So, you teach them about Christ. Now, can they see Christ in you in how you act, how you conduct your home? You see, this is to be your testimony. And that was the, what we said. We, we had this message in three T's, and the first T was testimony. So, we're still talking about testimony. This should be a part of your testimony before God. And by the way, wife, in your submission, it's a loving submission. And so, it's also your testimony. A wife was having problems with a husband one day in their, one, at one time in her marriage. And we got to talking, and I finally just said, well, you know what? Uh, Y'all are going to come to make decisions. I said, it's all right to say, you know, I don't think we should do that because of this. He says, no, we're going to do it. I says, then you need to go along with that. I could never do that. I won't do that. I says, then don't expect to get your marriage back. Now, you see, what she did, she got out of God's will. Got out of God's way, wanted her own way. Men have been the same way, by the way, in not doing their duty to love, to honor, to cherish, to protect, to do what he's supposed to do. You may or may not have children. If you don't, you're still to be that kind of a husband. You're to be that kind of a wife, as the Bible tells you here. If you do have, then your children ought to learn how to love God by witnessing your life and learning how to love. Your spouse ought to learn how to love her children love you by the way you love her and by the way you love God. That's how they should learn. There needs to be a oneness in heart and spirit, but that oneness must always, always, always be in Christ Jesus. But if you have no children, then the world should see the love that you have for your wife. The world should be able to see that. That it shows a true love. It shows a true respect for her as a lady. And it demonstrates to all the world who see you, who know you, that they're seeing how God loves us. And by the way, it doesn't hurt to let people know, I love her like God loves me. I wish I was as good as, as God is at it, but I love her. I try to love her that way. For this cause, he says in verse 31, 
of our text, shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says, he shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. Cleave, join, the same idea is there, that there is a oneness, and, and he is there. He leaves mother and father. You know, marriage is, I've said that a lot of times to young couples. It is leaving, it is cleaving, and it is one flesh. That is a marriage. And, and so, uh, that should never be a battle in the home. That should never be a battle of, well, if you don't do this, then we're not going to go see your mother. Well, if you don't do this, guess what you're eating tonight? <laughs> you know, when, when we get to those things, then, then we're not really loving as Christ taught us to love. We're not doing as Christ taught us to do. So, he goes on to say in verse 32, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. That's why we say here, he is showing that your marriage is to represent what salvation is. When a person receives Christ, you have a commitment to him and he to you just like you're supposed to have in a marriage. He will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He will love you. Yet, not only as the bride of Christ, you're also, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And by the way, that word sons in John 1.12 is a Greek word that because it has a masculine ending, it is translated as sons, but the same word is used for daughters as well. It's just a children thing. You became a child of God, and sometimes God has to chasten. Sometimes He has to scourge, as Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, His children. But it's always in love that they might get their lives right and do right, that they might finish well. So your marriage is a commitment. And so the question is, is are we showing that commitment to the home that God has given us, that Christ has to us? You see, a child learns what is a home supposed to be from his parents, from her parents. Now still, a bad home life is not an excuse to be evil, to be rebellious, because God holds each individual responsible for their decisions. You can be the worst of people and stand and look at something and just say, that's not right. That's just simply not right. They're a Christian? Oh, no, that's not right. But that doesn't give you a license to be just as bad or worse. Don't blame the failures in your life on the past bad things that have happened in your life, whether it was parents, whether it was divorce, whether no matter what it is. Look, you're still here. God still wants to use you. God still loves you. 
but it must be God's will and God's way. Always. Now, we see a mother's uh, submission. That is good. It represents how we are to live and speak as a believer submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just think, if a mother is truly submitted and submitted in love to her husband, she can actually show her children how they're to submit to God and why it's good. Can show what a believer is to be. It's a thing of the home to make your home a better home. But that should be not only your home testimony, that should be your public testimony. No matter where you are. We see the importance of a testimony. But then there's a second T. You see, in the home, mom and dad have the same responsibility. But oftentimes, and I think most often, because she's at home with the children while the dad is out working somewhere, the second T is teacher. Teacher. Not creature, teacher, okay? Teacher. That is the second T. And notice the supporting scriptures on this command. And we find this in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Back, uh, further back in the New Testament now. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 7. I'll just read through there and maybe make some comments as I go along. But I want to read this to you. In verse 1, he says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any... Obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Now, conversation shows your daily testimony, how you live, your person, what you are. That's what it's showing. It's not just talking about what you say. It's your very person. Your conversation shows you what you daily are what people see, what they see in your home. Now, oftentimes we use this passage to speak if you've got an unsaved husband, and I think this works. But if you've got a backslid Christian as a husband, that may also work. Okay? Because in time, when he sees the joy that you have as a mother, when he sees the joy that you have as a person, you become the one teaching him how a Christian is to live and can still have joy even when the circumstances aren't what we actually wanted them to be. And so we begin to have that attitude and it begins to teach. It teaches the husband. Whether he's saved or whether he's just a backslid Christian and, uh, and saved, or he's unsaved. And they behold, he says, verse 2, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. 
And I believe that there's an actual respect in that fear. And yet, there is a fear of if I'm not careful, I'm going to lose this lady. So you're teaching him what a Christian is, as well as your children, how to act regardless of the problems that come up in our life. Your husband, in time, may realize that you have something that's very special that he doesn't have. He just needs to know that he can have that through Christ. And he can be that man of God that God wants him to be. Again, when you see those great salvations in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, what about the woman at the well? She had had five husbands, and the man she was living with was not her husband. But boy, there was a change in her life. What about Rahab the harlot? She became a mother that down through her line would eventually come marry the line of Christ. God can change them. But they need a witness. And in the home, you're saved, you're a witness. Many times there have been children saved on our bus routes that became a witness to their home. They knew something. In some of those cases, they knew, boy, there's something different about my child. There's something different about this person, and it's good. That person that's your husband, they may try you daily. If it's your wife, they may try you with everything wicked that you can think of daily. And in time, you don't bend. You stay true to the Word. You don't, you don't compromise it. You don't compromise God's way. You stay true to it. In time, they will see that what you have is real, and they don't have it. And they want it too, but you've just taught him you can live righteously, live by the Bible, and still have joy and peace. Even in the midst of all those children, of all the, those troubles, and then also this will teach your children. You see, you're a teacher. You are teaching, not just a testimony. But now you have a testimony that teaches. So your respect of the husband's position before God and your demeanor of love and kindness in the home is a teaching tool that says, boy, I'd like to have that kind of spirit mom has. And dad, it'd be great if your kids could say Boy, I want that kind of spirit my dad has. Yet, they don't repent, but they're still breathing. God can fix it. You just stick with it. You put it in them. You keep training them, training them in kindness, training them in love, training them in the Word of God. You keep it in there, and in time, that will, when they leave your home, if they leave home in rebellion, that'll still be there to convict them every time they do wrong. And your love for God, your obedience to His Word, 
You do it because you love God. Now verse 3 there, that First uh, Peter 3 says, Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair and the wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. Your goal is not to appeal to his flesh. Rather, and by the way, that doesn't say not to try to make yourself look good and clean up and everything. That's not what it's talking about. But when you're using that to appeal to the flesh as an end all to your problems, that's not going to end your problems because the flesh doesn't fix the spirit. What it comes down to is that his heart needs a change. Your children's heart needs a change. And you and I know that if any man be in Christ, they are a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Now just think about that. When the Bible said that, all things are passed away, and we think of the murderers, the drunkards, and the uh, sexual perverts and everything else that got saved. All things are passed away in God's sight. He's forgiven. He's cleansed them by His blood when they turn to Him with their heart. In time, those children may wish they had what you have. And when you endured as a mother some great trials in a home, and they see you endured in a biblical way, they'll remember. You know, I, listen, I've preached a number of funerals. And sometimes I'd hear kids around the graveside say, one thing about Grandma, boy, when you went to her house, uh, boy, you ate well. She's always singing, always so nice. And Before you went to bed, she read the Bible to you. If you come to visit her house and stay the weekend, you were going to church. And isn't wondering, isn't that something that, what they thought, boy, if I go to church when they were a kid, yeah. That's a wonderful memory. See, the testimony was worth it. The teaching was worth it. And so, they become a teacher. So, he says there, uh, it's, it's supposed to be not that of, of the plating of hair and all that, but the next verse, verse 4, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. That's why not the plating of the hair and so forth. Why? He's not talking, saying it's wrong to fix your hair. Not talking about it's wrong to dress up nice. No, he's saying not using that, again, for the fleshly end of it. And that which is corruptible, but the real ornament you should have is the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, regardless of what you endure. You want a good example of that? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That was Jesus on the cross. A meek and a quiet spirit, a loving spirit, regardless of what he was going through. He says, this in sight of God is of great price. I don't know about you, but when God says something's of great price to him in his sight, I think that also speaks of great is reward in heaven. It's a great price. Then he says in verse 5, For 
after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection to their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now look, that verse in no way says anything about specifically. Yeah, when she went ahead and sinned and, and, and told everybody that she was a sister, she was obeying Abraham. No, that doesn't justify sin. And that doesn't indicate that there, by the way. So, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well. See, Sarah wasn't doing well when she did lie. Now, it wasn't a total lie because she was his sister of a different parent, but nonetheless, a sister. They had different mothers. And are not afraid with any amazement. In other words, you see it's already shown to work. Some expect it to happen faster than instant pudding. But guess what? People still have a free will. Some people will react right away. Some will take a long time. Some may never. But when you appear before God, oh, the reward. And oh, the rejoicing of your children and those loved ones who knew what you went through and you remained faithful. So again, when we see these things, the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered in verse 7. Again, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Husbands, because you're representing Christ, that is a stronger commandment than what I just read here that the women are supposed to do. That is a stronger commandment to you. That your prayers be not hindered. Now think about that. You've heard me say this before. I've had people call me, my child's in the hospital. We need you to come pray for her. And I will, I'll go pray for them. But what you need to understand is this as well. It may not be my prayer God wants to hear about that child of yours, it may be yours. But these things can hinder your prayers when it was your personal responsibility to be the prayer warrior that helps your child, that strengthens your child, that helps your child in sickness and, and all these other things that go on in their life. And it was your prayer, but because your heart was not right with God, you have hurt your own child. So men, that was addressed to you. The greatest damage to your child could be your unrighteousness by not obeying God in the manner that you're told to in the manner of loving your wife. Now, you'll notice the effect on children as well as on mother and your grandchildren. In this letter from God through the Apostle Paul back there in our text in Ephesians, it's for us to learn. We must learn that. So, Mom, 
and basically dad too, you're to be a testimony. You are to be a teacher. But then there's one final T that I want you to see. And that T is called tenacity. Nothing keeps you from the goal of that which is holy and right. Nothing keeps you from the goal of fulfilling the commands of God and the will of God in these things. You stick with it. No matter if the worst comes. That husband of yours, he may be an adulterer and everything else, but you're going to stick. You're going to stick. The tenacity because God wants you to stick. Even to love, honor, and cherish. That was the worst part. But you're going to stick because you're going to love like God wants you to love. And you're going to love them with the love God has had for you. And so you have that love. Now, let's see an example of it, though, in another way here in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, the Apostle Paul, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, writes this to Timothy, a young man who is a pastor. And he says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, there's nothing fake about his faith. It is real. It's not a put on. The unfeigned faith that is in thee. So, boy, that's a pretty good compliment coming from the Apostle Paul, isn't it? It actually comes from the Holy Spirit. Paul just wrote the Holy Spirit's words down. To say that about the faith of Timothy, but then the next word says, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. What if Eunice had not been right with God? There's still all that hope for Timothy because grandma was. She taught him these things. He learned faith. He learned doctrine. He learned Bible from his grandmother and mother. But they both were together. Boy, Timothy had the double whammy on him. Okay. I mean, and that was a good thing. He says, there's in thy mother, Lois, uh, thy grandmother, Lois, and thy mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded. Persuaded means I don't have a doubt. I am persuaded that in thee also. Wow. That was the effect of a grandmother and mother on a young man to whom a book of the Bible is addressed because of his faith and his service for God. It would be a tenacious effort for that grandmother and mother Eunice to do this. And the result was a Timothy. Don't ever give up because of the culture. Well, my kids aren't going to be like. If I hold those standards, my kids won't be like. So what do you want to do? Have your kids just become up a mess? And appear before God that even if they are saved, their life's a big mess because you didn't want them to be insulted by the culture that is depraved? Teach your children and grandchildren God's Word. 
encourage them to live for Jesus Christ. Never give up on praying for your children and grandchildren, even if they're, they seem to be involved and entrenched in the worst of sins. Whether it be drugs, whether it be alcohol, whether it be homosexuality, whether it be in so many other sins that could be out there, don't give up on them. The power of my God is greater than the power of Satan. That child has to turn to them. Now, you know what's so interesting about all of this? And let me just kind of try to soon bring this to a close. Timothy's father was not a Jew. His grandmother, his mother were Jews. We're not told if Timothy's father was a saved Gentile or not. But he was a Gentile. He may have been saved, may not. We're not told he is. They're wondering if Timothy should be circumcised because he was born into, to a mother of a Jew and he was serving with Paul to begin with. He said, no, that's not important for salvation. That's not important for his life. But you see, if that husband wasn't saved, Lois, Eunice, maintained a testimony and did what they were supposed to do with their family and trained that boy up in the way he should go. Guess what happened? Timothy. Timothy. But that takes tenacity. Tenacity means you don't quit when the things are bad in the home. The thing you don't quit when you've got an unfaithful wife, an unfaithful husband. You don't quit because your kids got in trouble. You don't quit. You stay true. You stay true. And you continue to stay true. That's the mother God honors. She's got a good testimony. She's got a godly testimony. She's a godly teacher. She teaches the things of the Lord. And she has the tenacity that come what may, she sticks with it. Now, you know that they're teaching in the schools, they're trying to teach it even in kindergarten, homosexuality. Got two mommies. I got two daddies. And it's all right. It's a good thing. No, it's not. We see the breakdown of the home, not just in America, we're seeing it in the churches. You see the morals going out of the home today. We've allowed television. Now we, I mean a lot of times we talk about the movies and things, but just television tells you what a home is supposed to be and it's not what the Bible tells us it's supposed to be. And many times the opinion of what we ought to be in the home is formed by that TV or some other type of entertainment. Preachers, the independent Baptists anyway, and I, I remember even Southern Baptist preachers used to preach against the movies, talking about the influence it'd have on the children. And they thought, oh, those people are crazy. But you know what? This country kind of proved that they, they were right. And then they got into video games. Oh, no, no, it's not. That's not bad. And, and Paul was up here not uh, about a year ago telling us about the, they were showing them where they were shooting police, shooting all of these video games and how many kids they killed at the school and all of that on a video game. And some of those that were involved were playing those things. 
Y'all remember the movie Home Alone? And the guy would put paper towels or something in the sink, stop it up, and turn on the water and run it over, let it run over. You know when that movie come out, that happened over in our school time after time. You had to go by when school was out and check the sinks to see if somebody had done that. What am I saying? What you put in their mind, what you put in their heart will affect the way they live. So why not put God's Word, why not put Jesus, why not decide as Joshua way back there said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Where is your house tonight? Is it spiritually what it ought to be? Well, isn't it Proverbs that tells us a righteous man falling seven times? What does he do? He gets up again. He said, man, I failed as a husband. I failed as a wife. I, I failed as a mother. I failed as a father. So don't stay there. Get up. Just get up and do it for the Lord Jesus Christ. Just get up and give it all to Him. And He can use you. But this is not an instant pudding. The only thing that should be instant is that your commitment is, should be instant tonight. The commitment to be tenacious about this, to stick with it. That's the commitment that should have tenacity. That's the commitment that says, I want this to be my testimony. That's the commitment that's going to work to keep it a testimony and to let your life and your words be teaching instruments for God. Let's give it all for Jesus. All for Jesus. Let's bow our heads, please.